Get your headphones or your earbuds on, get the kettle on to boil, and relax with another episode of On The Ledge. Hello, how are you doing? It's Jane Perrone here, your podcast host and houseplant enthusiast from the dear old United Kingdom. In this week's show, I'm going to be shooting the breeze with you while I kick off my own personal on-the-ledge sew-along, talking about some of my techniques I use for sowing seeds, what you need to get together if you want to be part of the on-the-ledge sew-along, and also discussing some of the potential trends and key plants of 2021. Plus, I'm answering a question about the differences between the rubber plant and the bird catcher plant. Trust me, you don't want to get these two mixed up. A clutch of new reviews have come through. We'll get more plants in Canada. Love the honest uh, name there. El Salve in Sweden and Joe with Plants in the US all left lovely reviews. And a book lover in the USA described On The Ledge as being as relaxing and therapeutic as watching The Great British Bake Off. What an honour. But you also described the show as being like a warm cup of tea. I appreciate your comment, but I would say I only drink my tea piping hot. Mark me well, non-British listeners. Your tea is only correctly made if the water is at 100 degrees centigrade, a.k.a. boiling point. Anything less will not be accepted. Lesson in tea making is over. But thank you very much, a book lover, because I'm very, very flattered to be compared to one of my favourite TV shows, The Great British Bake Off. My kids keep telling me I should go on the show. I keep pointing out that I'm all about the flavours, but my decoration is far from great. I'll have to post a picture one day of the strawberry spider cake I made my daughter for her birthday when she was about six. It's um, It looks like it was made by a six-year-old, quite frankly. Thanks also to Tracy in Hobart, Australia, for getting in touch to talk to me about vintage planters and say how much she loves tracking down cool planters for her house plants. Me too. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to when this whole COVID shenanigans is over is mooching around junk shops and auctions in search of interesting containers. Oh, won't that be fun? Thanks to my new patrons this week. Kay, Patty, Lisa and Greg all became legends. Jen made a donation on co-fi.com and Erica upgraded from crazy plant person to legend. And while Anna and Crawford both became crazy plant people. My daughter pointed out to me the other day that I should have called my Patreon site on the pledge. I never thought of that. On the Ledge has been sewing along since 2018. So this is the 2018, 2019, 2020, 21. Is that right? So I think this is going to be the fourth sew-along. Couldn't that possibly be true? I will link to all the previous sew-along episodes in the show notes to this episode. 
covered a lot of different ground about the sew along. But if you've not come across it before, perhaps this is your first time listening. Let me explain. There's very little in the way of rules to the sew along. I like to keep things nice and easy. It's just my way of inspiring all of you to try growing some houseplants from seed. So in the Sew Along episodes, I offer up some techniques for growing seeds, advice on what equipment you might need and where you might get your seeds from. And then you can go away and give it a try and report back via the medium of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or sending me an email. I love to hear what listeners are sewing and how they're doing. One of the great ways you can take part is by joining the Facebook group Houseplant Fans of On The Ledge and posting pictures of your seedlings there. Also a great place to ask for advice. What can you grow? Well, the world really is your oyster. Think about the kind of houseplants that you love and most likely you'll find some seeds that you can grow that will allow you to expand your collection at a low cost and have a few extra plants to pass on to your friends and family. Don't worry if you haven't bought any seeds yet. There is plenty of time to get cracking. Do not concern yourself because the growing season is only just getting underway for the Northern Hemisphere and many houseplants you can start at any time of year if you can provide them with enough heat and light. So let's get started. You join me here in the office. I've just moved literally about one foot from the place where I normally record the show to do this. And I'm down on the floor ready to talk about seed sowing. And I just wanted to say something before we get started here, which may resonate with some of you who are feeling a bit overwhelmed at the minute. There may be some of you for whom sowing seeds right now is the last of your worries. You're trying to keep your, the plants you've got alive. You're struggling. It's a difficult time of year for all kinds of reasons. And I just wanted to take the pressure off you if you are that person. So if you're the person who just can't even think about seed sowing right now, just hanging on by a thread and keeping your plants alive, <laughs> um, then I totally, totally understand. And what I would say to you is, don't worry. There will be other seed sowing years. Indeed, later this year, you may be able to sow some seeds. You may be in a position to sow some seeds and it's never too late. So if you're that person, just listen along, absorb some info as you listen, but don't feel any pressure to do anything because we've all got to do lists as long as our arms right now. So don't add any extra pressure onto yourself. If, however, you want to get cracking with your seed sowing and sew along with me then off we go let's find out what things I'm going to be sowing <clears throat> now as ever I always have eyes bigger than my seed capacity <laughs> if you know what I mean so I have got some seeds here that I ordered from the British Cactus and Succulent Society I've got some Hoya Serpane seed, seed which were kindly given to me by a listener Lauren um, I've been a bit lax. I haven't managed to get these sown yet, so I hope they are still viable because Hoya seeds tend to be need to be sown fresh. So we'll see how we go with that. Um, I've got the seeds I've got from the BCSS include an Astrophytum. So those are those beautiful succulents that look a bit like uh, Brighton Pavilion or the Kremlin. Those amazing sort of shaped uh, succulents. I've got a Cotyledon undulata which is a lovely frilly edged silvery succulent 
I've got agave, you know I can't resist an agave, pedunculifera, no idea what that's like, I just wanted to grow another agave, I've got quite a few seeds there of that one, so that'll be interesting. And then the lovely Aloe polyphylla, which I know people have sown, and I think I need some specialist techniques to sow that one, so I need to check up on the details for that one. Um, but uh, those are my BCSS seeds, and then I've got some more from Unusual Seeds on Etsy. If you're looking for places to buy seeds, do go and check out the show notes because I'll link to various sources of information about seed suppliers who um, I've either tried or I've heard good things about from other listeners. So from Unusual Seeds, I've got a Ripsalis mix, a Selenocerius mix, Euphorbia abisa, and Parodia atonis, which is a gift. So thank you, Unusual Seeds, for that. That's really kind. I haven't grown Parodia since I was a kid, so that's really nice. And then I've got my dwarf cherry tomato the house tomato from rare seeds if you remember i talked about this in the episode with claire ratton on and my lovely assistant kelly bought me a packet of these as a little present i'm not going to sow these yet lots of people want to sow tomato seeds and chili seeds really early in the year there is a reason to do that because they need a long growing season and here in the uk um, it's not that easy to give them such a long growing season. However, if I sow these now, I'm going to end up with a lot of seedlings that I can't put outside for quite a, a long time. And I've got to find space for them somewhere warm and light. And that is always a challenge. So I'm going to leave these tomatoes for a bit longer, probably till March and sow them then. OK, I've got another tomato variety again i'm going to put those to one side these come from chilton seeds a plum tomato called tiger rides but they're going to have to wait what else have we got here um ah yes i have got my i, I you know me i like something a bit different so i ordered some clivia seeds but i didn't order clivia miniata i ordered clivia gardenii the forest lily um, so I'm going to be trying those. The seeds, I can tell, are huge. <laughs> I'm going to open up the packet here and see what these... It says, sprouting seeds, please open with care. Does this mean they're already sprouted? Heck, this is exciting. Okay, they're in another bag. I've opened the paper envelope. <gasps> these are like... Okay, this is this is interesting. I think they're already sprouting. Ooh, okay. Ooh, yeah. They look damp, that's for sure. So these need to go into the compost straight away. So I'm going to plant those shortly. They're about the size of a pea. Um, and I've also got Calendula officinalis Cabluna Intense Yellow, which is an outside plant, a pot marigold. So that's not going to be sown yet. That's going to wait a bit because that's a hardy annual. So I can sow those either outside in April and May or under glass inside March to April. So that's not, nothing's happening with that yet. It's quite a nice sound. I should add a sound effect to on the ledge. My extensive uh, selection of sound effects, my sound effect library, which consists of the water one. <laughs> Maybe I should add some seed noises. Right, so what equipment have I got? Those are my seeds, but what equipment have I got? Well, you don't need a lot especially at the moment when you might not be able to get out and about to buy new things, seed sowing should be kept as simple as possible. So you need some kind of tray to sow into. Make sure it's got lots of holes in the bottom. This could be a recycled plastic fruit tray, 
from the supermarket. It could be something you've got lying around your house, an old plastic box that you have put some holes in the bottom of, or you can buy special, specially made little seed trays. Um, these ones I've got come actually um, from my electric propagator and they come with a little clear plastic lid. Whatever you use, one of the key things with seed sowing is that you make sure that they are freshly washed. Now I don't bother generally, unless there's a pest situation that I'm aware of, I don't generally bother washing pots, but I will wash these because seeds are very susceptible to issues with diseases, fungus that can come off the containers they're planted into. So these need to be scrupulously clean before I begin. So I'll go and do that in a minute. Um, what else do I need? Well, I need some kind of medium or substrate, as we call it, to sow into. And this being lockdown and all, I haven't got exactly what I'd normally have. So I've got some compost. Usually I would be using seed compost. How does seed compost or seed potting mix vary from what you might use uh, on your houseplants? Well, two things. One, it's usually a very fine grain, so it doesn't have big lumps in it. That's all that means. Um, that is just so that small seeds, when they're germinating, don't end up being held down under a big clump of something and unable to germinate. Now, I don't have any seed compost because I haven't bought any and I have no intention of going out to the garden centre and buying some. Um, so I'm going to make do and mend and I've got some regular houseplant compost that I use here and I'm just going to give this a sieve and a go through to make sure there's no big particles in here and I'm going to mix it with quite a lot of perlite or rice husks in order to make a nice airy light mix. The other thing that's different about seed compost or seed potting mix is that it's often low in nutrients because seeds when they germinate don't need a lot in the way of nutrients because they're using what's in themselves. They've got their own nutrient supplies which they will be employing when they first germinate. Um, in this case, because I'm going to be mixing in quite a lot of perlite, they'll be fine. There won't be too many nutrients in the soil anyway. Top tip, when you're using your potting mix, make sure it hasn't been stood outside or in a freezing place before you start using it. The reason for that is that then you're sowing seed into a freezing cold medium. And if it's sensitive seed, it could very easily give it a really poor start and mean that your seeds won't germinate. So some nice room temperature potting mix is ideal for your seeds. What else do you need? Water. Well, it's very advisable to make sure that your potting mix, your seed substrate is pre-moistened. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but what I find is that you get your seeds all nicely sown and then you water them and, oh my gosh, there's a flood and the seeds all get dislodged and go all over the place and your beautifully spaced seeds end up in the wrong places, perhaps too low or too high in the container. If you pre-moisten, you won't have this issue. So that's a tip. When you're using water for seeds, normally everything I grow is water with rainwater but in the case of seeds I use tap water and the reason for that is that rainwater isn't as pure as tap water and you could be bringing in some problems with that water things like damping off that's where a fungal condition where the seedling just goes 
and fungus attacks the stem and it just falls over and dies. Uh, so you want to avoid those kind of problems. So use nice clean pots and make sure you use tap water. I mean, you know, you might find that you use rainwater. I've used rainwater for the past 25 years and it works absolutely fine. But you want to try to cut down the potential problems that you're landing yourself with. So that is worth bearing in mind. And that really is all you need. And then you do need to do a bit of research about your seeds. How do they want to germinate? Look at the packet. If you don't have any instructions on the packet, uh, then do look up specifics on your seeds. But there are general rules that we can use. Um, do have a listen back to some of the other episodes because there's loads of advice on seed sowing in there. And I'm not going to go over all of that today because I want to get on to talking about some of the plants and things that are trending I hate that word, but things that we're going to be thinking about in 2021 as I'm working. So I'm just going to pause this while I go and wash these pots. I will be back and uh, we'll talk trends. Let's break away from the seed sowing to answer a listener question. And this one comes from Danielle in Washington State. Hello, Danielle. I do get a lot of questions to On The Ledge that are quite similar in nature, but this is a question I've never had before. And it relates to a plant that Danielle had bought recently from a supermarket and she couldn't quite work out the identification. She thought it might be a Ficus elastica, specifically the cultivar Tinica, that popular variegated plant. But then the helpful florist. Now, I'm not sure if Danielle means a florist in the supermarket or somebody she knows. But anyway, this helpful person decided to try to pin down an identification for Danielle and finally settled on Pisonia umbellifera variegata. And Danielle writes, for the life of me, I cannot tell the difference between the two based on photos. And I want to be sure to care for it correctly. The leaves are white, some with a pink hue, and variegation is grey-green to darker green in brushstrokes. There isn't much information about the Pisonia, called a bird catcher or bird lime tree, except some horrifying photos of the tree doing its eponymous thing. Can you help me distinguish between the two at all? I know it puts out a great deal of white sap when, say, accidentally crushed briefly by a bag of groceries sliding onto it. <laughs> You're very specific about that particular example, Danielle. I think that means that your plant may have suffered a small injury on the way home from the supermarket in the back of the car. I'm laughing because I've been there. Securing plants in the car is not all that easy. But Danielle goes on. It seems to have recovered well, so I'm hoping it is a hardy plant because the variegation is so beautiful. So what do we have here, listener? Is it a ficus tinica or is it a bird catcher plant or bird catcher tree, Pisonia. Well, if you look at pictures of these two plants and put them side by side, they do look very alike. You're probably much more familiar with Ficus elastica than you are with the Pisonia, and for good reason, because the former, the variegated form of the rubber plant, is an enormously popular houseplant. And that's what makes me think, without any further digging, that this is the plant that Daniel has, the much more common and indeed ubiquitous Ficus tinica. 
But let's have a think about this birdcatcher plant too, because it is an interesting one. As I say, the variegation on that plant is very similar to that of the Tinica. You've got these white leaves with green areas and paler green areas around the midrib. So I can see where the confusion has occurred in doing an ID attempt. However, there's a couple of things I would say. First of all, the Pisonia doesn't have a lot of red coloration or pink coloration in mature leaves. The new growth, yes, is tinged pink, but the matured growth does fade or does mature to a creamy white and various shades of green. There isn't that pink tinging that you get in the Ficus tinica which, you know, the midrib of that plant is, is pinky and the creamy areas can be pink as well. Second thing to note is leaf shape. Ficus elasticus leaves, both the Pisonia and the Ficus have what I'd call an oval leaf. In other words, they're widest at the midpoint, but the Pisonia, their leaves narrow more dramatically at either end, whereas the ficus leaves, well, they stay quite fat and then sort of thin down at the last minute. I will put a picture of both these plants in my show notes so you can see exactly what I mean. And the other difference that I've read about, but I can't really confirm because I haven't actually seen a Pisonia in the flesh, is that the Pisonia tends to branch more than the, the Ficus elastica, which just goes straight up as a single stem unless it is pinched out at the top. But the Pisonia naturally branches to become more of a bushy shape. Looking at lots of pictures online, I would also suspect that the leaves of the Pisonia are a bit more of a matte shade than those of the rubber plant, which really are quite naturally shiny. And in fact, the Pisonia is not closely related to the ficus at all. It's a member of the Nyctogenaceae, the, the four o'clock family, which includes genera such as the Bougainvillea, whereas ficus elastica, well, that's part of the Moraceae family or the Mulberry family, as it's commonly known. The Pisonia comes from Australia and really is quite a curious plant that does live up to its common name because it produces flowers in summertime that then become seeds. And this is where the birdcatcher bit comes in because these seed pods are incredibly sticky and come in great abundance on this tree when it's mature, which can get to about 15 feet tall. Now, it's important to say that the tree has evolved this technique as a way of spreading its seeds. So things get stuck to the seeds and carry those seeds away to another area to propagate. The trouble is that some of the things that get caught on those seed heads just can't get away. And that includes insects and small birds. Now, people do grow this indoors as a house plant. And of course, if you grow it indoors, it's not going to get huge. It's not going to flower and you're not going to have the sticky seed problem. So it's curious that they've evolved with this sport, uh, this variegation that looks so similar, but they're not really closely related. You can grow both as house plants. But as you bought this plant from a supermarket, Danielle, I would be surprised, although not completely knocked over with a feather, to discover that a Washington State supermarket had Pisonia on offer as a houseplant, because sometimes it does happen that uh, a nursery will deliver uh, a 
load of plants to a supermarket where perhaps they've grown too many for a specialist order and they just kind of dump them on a supermarket. So you do sometimes get rarities in the supermarket, don't get me wrong, but I think the odds are that this is Ficus elastica. You mentioned the milky sap that your plant is producing. Well, that's absolutely right for Ficus elastica as well. One of its other common names is the Indian rubber tree. And the sap that comes out of the Ficus elastica is a white latex stuff, which was at one time used to make rubber, hence the name. Now, Ficus elastica, how tough is this plant? Well, uh, it's been grown as a houseplant for a long time and a lot of people succeed very well with it. It does have a tendency to suddenly drop its leaves if it gets too wet around the roots. So make sure the compost has a really good chance to dry out between waterings. If you had a Personia in your house, it would probably need a bit more sunlight than your Tinica Ficus elastica, which really needs to be kept away from direct sun. But don't put it in a dark corner either, otherwise you'll lose all that lovely variegation. And indeed, dropping leaves can be a sign that the plant is somewhere way too dark. This one's not particularly bothered about um, levels of humidity. Be all right in a, in a regular room. But in the wintertime, don't put it in a freezing cold room. It won't really like anything below about sort of 16, 15 degrees centigrade, which is about 59, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. If you find yours is going up and up and up and about to hit the ceiling, then you can pinch out the top, as I've already said, and it will cause the plant to branch out. and You'll end up with a much bushier plant rather than just one long stem going up. Thanks for your question, Danielle. And I hope your ficus or maybe just maybe a Personia <laughs> thrives. Actually, I really do think it is a ficus. But uh, yeah, you can go look at the picture on my show notes and decide for yourselves. But I hope the plant thrives, Danielle. And if anyone else has a question for On The Ledge, drop a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. And now back to some seed sowing and chat. Hurrah, I have clean containers. So I've washed the trays and I've washed the lids. The lids, it's super important to make sure they're clean because that way you're letting in maximum light because seedlings do need lots of light to grow. So I'm making sure these are nice and clean. They've been sat in the potting shed. Uh, potting shed news, my potting shed roof is leaking. I can't remember if I mentioned this which is a bit of a disaster because all my agaves are out there. I've moved them out of the way of the leak. And I do have a carpenter hopefully coming next week to fix it. I've had this, the potting shed about 10 years. It's doing reasonably well, but it does need fixing up. And maybe I'll finally get round to painting it now that uh, once this work's been done. So those are ready to go. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a bit about trends. I'm going to start with Hoyas because you know I love Hoyas and I know many of you are so into Hoyas. So what can we say about Hoyas? I think I probably have, oh I did count and I've now forgotten how many I have. I don't try to retain this information particularly because it's a bit scary but looking at my shelf up there I probably must have at least 20 to 25 Hoyas but they're all quite diddy at the moment. Some of them will stay small like Curtisii. Some of them are going to get big though, like Macrophylla albomarginata, which is a lovely Hoya with pronounced veins and oval leaves. And that's going to get big. So, yeah, there's this whole Hoya acquisition trend going on, which I can 
I'm fully on board with, but it is worth thinking about what is my collection of little diddy coir cuttings going to look like when it matures. Uh, it's worth bearing in mind because some hoyas can get enormous. So think about that when you're planning your hoyas. The other thing to say about hoyas this year is that they're getting really, really expensive. So I saw um, a grey ghost, a hoya carnosa grey ghost, selling for a hundred. I think it was a hundred pounds on Etsy. I don't think I would ever spend three figures on a plant. I'm not saying never say never, but I, I don't think I would. Um, it seems that anything that's got splashy variegation is just, it just puts the price right up. Um, and in fact, it, you know, you just seem to add the word splash to the end of any, <laughs> of any cultivar name and the price immediately doubles. So that's what's going on with Hoyas. Um, I would say that I am going to buy more Hoyas. But I well, more, I'm going to acquire more Hoyas. I'd much rather acquire them by swapping than by a getting, <coughs> spending out huge amounts of money. So if anyone out there wants to do a Hoya swap, <coughs> it's a bit dusty, so I'm going to open the door and let a bit of air in. So I'm making up the compost now for the first seed tray. Um, so, yeah, expensive Hoyas. What I would say is get into swapping if you want to get Hoyas that are rarer. And it's a bit like that. Oh, shut the door, it's freezing. <coughs> it's a bit like that viral video of the woman who started out with a, well, we call it hair grip. I think you call it a bobby pin in America. And she ended up with a car or something or a house. You know, yes, you might have start start off with a fairly basic Hoya, but you know, you'll always be able to swap that with somebody and get a cutting of something slightly more interesting. <coughs> and then from there onwards, you can try to add to your collection in a sort of a sustainable way without adding to the the fever that comes with spending a lot of money on these plants. Yeah, and, and sometimes people do seem to be buying plants, Hoyas, like, like any of the other plants, without actually knowing what their care requirements are before they start. I mean, and this is stressing me out as if I'm a sun-stressed Hoya. <laughs> I, I just think that's a really short term um, and it's the wrong way around, right? We should be thinking about what our care possibilities are before we buy things. And that way, we're more assured of success, but also we can make sure we're not wasting plants by killing them. That's the, the main thing, is if you buy a plant and you're unprepared for its needs, you're less likely to have it survive its first year. So... I'm probably preaching to the converted here because you're listening to this show. But yeah, please do your research. Yeah, I was talking about sun-stressed Hoyas. I'm not sure I get sun-stressed Hoyas. Am I missing out on something here? This idea that, you know, it's something extra desirable about having a Hoya that has 
red anthocyanins showing up because it's been put in more light than it would like to be in. I don't I quite understand why that's a good thing. I would love for somebody to explain that to me. So if you know, you can explain to me why sun-stressed Hoyas are good. I guess they look pretty, but I just feel stressed for the plant, that the plant is being stressed. Um, there's a few out there that are really popular right now. There's one called Soya, Soya Hun, I was gonna say Soya Hunrise. I'm doing a uh, spoonerism there. Hoya Sunrise. This is a plant that's a cross between a, a Lacunosa subspecies Palladiflora and Hoya Obscura. Um, and it was a, a, a hybrid that was done in the 90s by a chap called Michael Mirashiro. And I, I've seen this, this seems to be getting very popular now. Um, again, I'm not sure, I mean, you know, like if somebody wanted to do me a swap for one, I'd be quite happy to have one, but I'd want to see what it looked like unstressed. Right, that is my Clivia seedlings potted up. Now I'm terrible at writing labels. This is where I fall down, people. I am terrible on labels, but I'm going to try to be better this year. So I'm now going to stumble around the office looking for a label. So bear with. <laughs> I know you always do. Um, I do have a label. In fact, I've got a label here. Here we go. It's all working out. Now I just need to find... My office, by the way, is a wreck a tip this is what comes of trying to homeschool and do a pretty much full-time job and retain one's sanity the office has suffered and this weekend i need to try to tidy it up but anyway just crossing out what's written on here which is actually a wrong name anyway that somebody put on a plant so now i'm going to write this label and it's going to be clivia gardenii so this looks a bit like the regular Clivia, but it has more, well, I want to say slightly more refined flowers, which are more, uh, what, how would I describe it? Well, I'll try and link to a picture in the show notes, but I think they're rather nice, the flowers. So I'm going to have a go at that and see whether any of those three seedlings germinate. Sticking in the label. So anyway, back to Hoya Sunrise. Yeah, all of these sun-stressed Hoyas with that blush of red or pink. I suppose it's all the craze for for such a thing. That said, I mean, I've been talking here and I'm literally right in front of my Crassulus Hummel sunset, which has been outside all summer and it's still bright yellow and red because it had so much sun. So maybe I should shut up and stop moaning about sun-stressed Hoyas. Anyway, right, I'm gonna do the Hoya Serpanes next because it's an urgent need. So yeah, silver splashy variegation, still massive on Hoyas and other plants. Um, and people go nuts for it, and I'm not exactly sure whether it's worth the effort. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to see, as we did every year, the last few years lots of single heart-shaped leaves of Hoya carii on display in our local uh, florists and things and probably at Ikea as well this Valentine's and you know over the years I've kind of always said oh it's not going to grow into it's not going to grow into a full plant but I have heard quite a few anecdotal stories of people saying that their single leaf has turned into a full plant and what's that all about? Well, I suspect that what's happening 
is that the leaves which are mass produced a few of them do have a little bit of stem attached and the stem contains that merosomatic material that will end up rooting uh, producing roots and, and growing a new plant so I suspect that a lot of these babies they have a will to survive and if they've got a bit of that material they will grow they do take everyone says though if they are going to do that it takes an inordinate amount of time so you're waiting a long time for your hoya carii to become anything other than a single leaf probably about two years i'm kind of tempted to buy one a plain green one i do have a variegated hoya carii vine um but i don't have a plain one so i'm wondering if i might treat myself to a plain one and just see just an exercise in patience to see if it will grow anything okay the hoya serpent seeds are in grow my pretties grow and yeah it'll be interesting to see whether anything whether i get anywhere with that i have some cuttings of the very fine Hoya polyneura, the fishtail Hoya, which I got from a couple of different people actually, and they're doing really well. I did an Instagram uh, post the other day about them and how well they're rooted, and I've now put them all in together. Um, that's a really interesting Hoya, the fishtail Hoya polyneura. I don't really know much about it, but it's growing really well, so I'm just going to keep quiet and hope for the best. Now, what have we got next? I'm making a right mess in here. The one Hoya that I'm really struggling to grow is Hoya Australis Lisa. Man, that Hoya is just, I don't know what to do with it. It just sits there, it doesn't grow. It just sits there looking at me grumpily. No one's got any Hoya Australis Lisa tips. It's a beautiful variegated Hoya, different shades of green and cream, but it doesn't seem to like me. So I don't know what to do about that one. I'm just going to go and get some perlite and run it under the tap. Very important with perlite to try to make sure that you don't um, get the use it when it's dry because it's very dusty. So I'm going to add a little bit of uh, water to that. My phone's going, so I'm just going to ignore that call because I'm podcasting. <laughs> so sorry if you're phoning me right now. Um, so. I'm going to just go and put some water on this perlite and be right back. weeks listeners what can I say still I didn't lose any plants no plants fell over so that's amazing right okay let's get this perlite going I would ideally be using vermiculite for this but I don't have any vermiculite so hey let's make do with what we've got 
So yes, yeah, Sunstress Hoyas, uh, Hoya Polyneura, Australis Lisa, yeah, pain in the neck. That's that's what I've said so far. Uh, one plant that I've seen around that I would love to know if you've seen around a little bit more than usual is one called uh, Maranta Arundacea variegata. So it's the variegated arrowroot plant, which looks a bit like uh, well, one of the Tenanthes or even Calathea white fusion with the white and green bold variegation. This is a plant that's quite interesting. The, or actually it looks more like uh, Tenanthe lubaziana, if you know that one. But it is a different species and it's pretty popular in Southeast Asia, but I'm increasingly seeing reference to it in my part of the world and in the US. So the rhizomes of the arrowroot plant, they're used to make um, arrowroot. <laughs> pretty obvious uh, arrowroot is a, a, a sort of a white starchy powder that, that that's used to sort of thicken sauces and things and you can make arrowroot biscuits and i think in uh, jamaica they use like make like a an arrowroot porridge but in fact actually arrowroot that you buy in a supermarket is usually now made of um tapioca rather than than uh, maranta arundacea um because i guess that's easier to, for it's easier to produce as a crop. Um, Latin name for that, Manihot esculenta, also known as uh, cassava. So, yeah, I'm wondering if we might be seeing the rise of the Maranta arundacea variegata. You tell me if you've seen that plant around. Right, perlite's looking a bit lumpy, but hey, we'll just roll with it. Uh, I need to label up my Hoya serpanes as well. Right, just going to rinse my hands. Making a big old mess. I'm going to try not to kill myself when I go to the bathroom this time, people. Uh. I'm going to leave that in the edit, you know, because I like you to realise that I'm a real person and most, most, uh, prone to having accidents like all of us. Right, let's find another label for the Hoya Serpanes. Uh, label, label, label. Any old label. Bear with, bear with. Okay, it's going to have to be a sticky note because that's all I can find right now until I can find the proper labels. So let's do a sticky note. Hoya serpents. I'm wondering how all the people who bought plants over the summer and spring are getting on this winter with their with their plants. I think it might be quite a scary time if you've never had house plants over winter before, because they can get quite miserable, and you might lose a few even if you're good at growing plants. So if that's you, take heart. Go and listen to my. Arctic Gardener episode a few episodes back. I'll put a link to that in the show notes and hang on in there because spring is on the way. And I think <coughs> next week I'm going to be doing an episode about humidity, which is very relevant. So, yeah, talking about what air humidity actually is and how you can increase it in your home in various different ways, including um, the minefield that is humidifiers. So, that should be fun. Okay, so now we've got, we've quite kind of got our uh, 
set of ropey looking seed trays set up and I'm going to try sowing the cotyledon now. No, actually I'm not. I've got this one. What's this one? So other things that I think 2021 might bring us. I suspect that the houseplant trend is just going to go on and on getting bigger. What I hope it will bring us is that people will become more aware of sustainability issues, which, as you know, is close to my heart. But we're still seeing very little about in terms of, you know, mention by houseplant industry. So I really hope that's going to be something that's going to be focused on this year. If you want to know about growing peat free, I'll just tell you again. Somebody asked me about this recently, what my peat free formulation is. So I use a peat free compost called Silvergrow, S-Y-L-V-A-G-R-O-W, which is made by Melcourt here in the UK. And this is a composition that has added John Innes. Now you don't need to go back and listen to my potting mix ingredients A to Z to find out what John Innes is all about, but it's basically a loam based compost. Um, and that's peat free. John Innes compost normally is not peat free, but this one is. And so that's my base. And then to that, I add lots of different things, including grit and sometimes expanded clay pebbles sometimes perlite, sometimes rice husks. So I just adjust the composition, but the base is that Melcourt Silver Grow with added John Innes. Right, I need another label. Let's just use this as a label because that'll do. I haven't got a lid for this particular thing I'm using, so I'm gonna have to, I've got a big plastic bag actually, which I think I'm gonna have to stick over this to keep it nice and toasty. That's the Astrophytum, Emirio Stigma, Joie Marve. That sounds great. So I'm going to look forward to seeing what that looks like. Um, how am I going to do this? I'm going to get some sellotape and stick it to the side. I wish I had a tidy office, people. Anyone with tidying tips, please shout. Right, that's the first one done, and now I'm going to move on to the second one, which is I'm going to leave the early polyphyll seeds because I think I need to do those in. Um, I need to Google the technique. I think I need to do them on a piece of paper in a bag. I need to germinate them first. These agaves, though, when I sowed my last lot of agave seeds, I just sowed them on regular compost. So I'm going to do the same for these ones. They look like little black chips of granite. You know what, I went down to the potting shed to get this stuff. This is why I love agaves, right? Went down to the potting shed and one of the agaves had, there'd obviously been a, a slug roaming around and it had speared itself on an agave spine and died. There's a horrific picture, but somehow rather satisfying. So there you go. That's what happens to slugs who venture into my potting shed. Right, that's the agave. I must actually Google what it looks like. Let's have a look. Agave pedunculifera. Um, 
is exciting radio, isn't it? Woman Googles, or rather Ecosia. My son's really into me using Ecosia because it helps plant trees, which is a great thing, actually. Let's have a look. Okay, so yeah, this looks nice, actually. Originally placed in the... Let's just read this through. I'm not going to read this all out to you because it might be... Oh, it's nice. It's kind of a really pale, silvery agave. Very smooth looking. Nice, okay. That looks beautiful. Okay, so that's nice. There weren't many agaves on the list. That was one of the few ones there was, so that will be sown. Right, what are the other ones I've got here? Are there actually any seeds in here? This is the cotyledon undulata, and it's one of these situations where the seed is so small. I mean, I've got my glasses on, but it's actually quite hard to see. I can't see if there's anything in the packet. I think there is. Okay, what I'm going to do with these is I'm going to leave them because they're so small, I need to get a little bit of dry sand and mix it in with the seeds because they're the size of pinheads. And I'm going to, if I do that now, I'm going to mess it up. So I'm going to leave those to one side and do those later. Um, okay, what have we got left to sow? Oh yeah, one other thing that I was going to sow. Oh no, hang on, I've got all these. Let me do one of these then. I've got the... Um, I was just going to talk to you about pea shoots, but I'm just going to do these Selenocerius as a final sowing. So Selenocerius, wonderful forest cacti and beautiful plants. I'm hoping to get a nice mix out of these for keeping and swapping. And these little black seeds look a bit, um, well, they they just look like normal seeds. They're not very exciting, but hey, if they get to produce something cool, then that will be jolly good. Okay. I have to say, I have no idea where I'm going to put these. They need bright light. It might be a question of clearing out the south-facing windowsill, the only one I have in the house, for the sake of these guys. Just really need to give as much light as possible once you've got seedlings coming up. And also note whether they need light when they're germinating or darkness when they're germinating. Some will need one, some will need the other. So the more you know the more success you're likely to have. So that's my Selenocerius. I'm gonna leave the rest of these for later because I've run out of trays. Well, I hope that's been uh, a good little sewing session. Um, I mean, I wanted to talk about a few other things, but I could be going on all day. I'm hoping that the thing that really catches people's imaginations in 2021 is sustainability and also the idea that you don't have to spend a fortune on houseplants. I appreciate that it's a lovely thing to buy a beautiful plant, but that beautiful plant does not have to cost you a fortune and sowing seeds is a fantastic way to produce a collection that is not only sustainable, but also allows other people to share your delight. So, you know, if I germinate half a dozen of these Selenocerius seedlings, I will be putting them, allowing them to other people to plant them, allowing other people to um, have them once they're seedlings. So, yeah, it's worth doing that if you can and sowing some seeds. Right, the battery is about to die on this thing. So I'm going to say goodbye and hand you back to myself in the studio. 
Um, but thank you for joining me for this rather random seed sowing session and I will be back with you shortly. Apologies for my little accident there. What can I say? I do really need to tidy my office. I have since discovered the instructions for alo polyfiller. The seeds either need to be wrapped in damp paper towel and put in a clear plastic bag and ideally put in the fridge to stratify to get cold for a few days before they start shooting or you can put them in a glass of water. As always there are various different ways that people sprout these seeds. Not everyone does exactly the same technique, but that does seem to be what's needed in order to get them to germinate. And I know some of you have germinated alo polyfiller too. So that's what I'm going to do with mine. And I'll keep you posted on how that all goes. And if you've been doing some seed sowing, please do email with your pictures so I can mention you on the show. You can also tag me on Instagram using hashtag on the ledge podcast and hashtag otl so along you can also use those hashtags on twitter and of course you can share to the houseplant fans of on the ledge group and there is an otl so along topic which you can assign to your posts so that we can see all of the cool stuff that you're up to That's it for this week's show. I'll be back next Friday to talk about moisture in the air. Until then, have a good week, a bearable week, a week. Have a week. How about that? And I will speak to you soon. Take care. Bye. music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. Both tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit janeperone.com for details. (laughs) 